knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Here we go, boys. Go. Ooh, I love that sound. This is a good one. What's up, bird nerds? It's Nick J. Solo hosting another episode of Waterfall Wednesday this week. Dale and I had a little trouble getting our schedules all figured out. My wife broke her ankle on Saturday, um, so I'm caretaking, cooking eggs for her. Uh, Mrs. Johnson's goose cooking is sorely missed by me. Um, <laughs> we were actually in a uh, spin cycle class at the gym on Saturday and uh, her feet were strapped in and she stood up on the bike and was going a little too fast and her foot turned like underneath backwards. She put all her weight down and I could hear her foot snap, her ankle snap like over the techno music. Ooh. So yeah, it's been a rough few days here. Uh, Raquel is recovering painfully, uh, learning how to use crutches and me and Dale couldn't get our our schedules to line up so I just wanted to do a little try to squeeze in at least some sort of a some sort of content here and what I did is I wrote down a bunch of topics which could each all be their own show really but I, I'm constantly getting questions about the way I do things because I'm kind of known to do things a little bit differently and I have good reasons for all that stuff and um, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do a show that, that goes through as many of these as I can, not spending a ton of time on each one, but just, just a, an overview of all the different ways, at least I think they're different, that I like to hunt, and a lot of this is applicable to, like, field geese, but, I mean, it, it can go across the spectrum. And a little disclaimer, I guess, before we get into this list, is... Um, I'm going to contradict myself, there's no doubt about it. Like, these are just opinions I've kind of came up with over 15 years of hunting and they're rolling opinions too. Some of them are changing. Some of them are flexible. Some of these things I will not follow in a year from now. Probably most of them I won't follow in five years from now. Um, and it, yeah, it's just, it, it's tough to talk about all this sort of different stuff without contradicting yourself, but anything you can gain in the terms of knowledge, anything that 
people do that I don't do and I've never heard of, I'm super interested to always learn about it. You know, like, oh, you you do this for decoys? Why the fuck would you do the that? You do this for a hide? Why the fuck? They have a reason, you know, and, and even if I'm not going to apply their knowledge, it's interesting to know it. And if I ever run into a situation where maybe I can think back like, ah, you know what? That one time this dude said they do it like this, I might try it and see what happens. Um, and I like to kind of experiment on pretty much all of my hunts. It's kind of what keeps hunting interesting to me. Um, so I'm just going to run through a bunch of these. And another thing I'd like to say is if you ever are like, hey, let's try new stuff. If you're ever in that game where you're just trying to learn more about hunting, uh, I think it's really important that you change your standards um, when it comes to determining the effectiveness of a new strategy. What do I mean by that? I, I, I mean like a lot of times people will try something new, especially in a group, especially if there's some sort of a conflict, like, no, dude, we shouldn't do that. And like, come on, let's just try it. All right. The first flock fucking flares. Like, I told you it wouldn't work. You know, like it's like a, a one and done experiment for a lot of people when they try something new. And uh, a lot of people are shamed into not continuing their experimental thought or not seeing it through. There could be a million different environmental factors that maybe that method would work, but it didn't for that day for that reason. And let's take a second to talk about the effectiveness of just a traditional hunt, the way you traditionally hunt day in, day out, where there's not much conflict, everybody's kind of in agreement. What's that effectiveness? What, what's the effectiveness percentage of that methodology of traditional, yeah, this is the way we always do it, it's not great. It's not great. Like I, some hunts, it works out great. Some hunts, you know, like you're getting in an argument like they're seeing the fucking blinds, you know, like we need to move decoys over here. Like obviously that plan didn't fucking work out so great. What is the actual effectiveness? Like when it comes to, to like a traditional style methodology of hunting, I would say it's around 30% when everything goes right. Like, like, you know, you pull out, open an old decoy setting book your dad had. I mean, pretty much that's the way people still hunt today. It's the reason people do it is because it's effective. How effective? In my opinion, about 30% of the time. So what are you losing by trying something new when you're pretty sure a traditional method isn't gonna work out? If you're pretty sure it's not gonna work out traditional style, uh, you're probably right. <laughs> so what are you really losing by trying something unique, trying something out of the box? You're in most cases, you're not losing anything. If the hunt turns out to be frustrating because you tried something new, it's likely that hunt would have been frustrating anyway, and you're learning something. So, yeah, let's just jump into my list. And this is just things like I get messages constantly about just a ton of different shit. And I'm going to get through as many as I can. I think a great place to start is just premium ammunition because Boss Ammunition has been such a great sponsor of the show. And also, they're, they got skin in the game. They just are the uh, title sponsor for the Game Fair Calling Contest that we have. They are very generous across the community. And I like to use premium ammunition. Uh, Boss Ammunition is a great, great choice. Bismuth was the first ever premium alloy that was approved beyond steel. That was in 1996, and it's been a popular hunting load ever since. I love the culture that Boss has brought to waterfowl hunting, patterning shotguns, um, getting no cripples, having no cripple seasons, 
Um, it just tears me apart when I lose a bird, and that hasn't happened actually in a couple years for me now. I shoot real carefully, and I like to use premium ammunition so I don't end up in a situation where I'm, I'm searching for a bird. Um, and the thing I love about premium am ammunition too is there's nothing else on this list that's scientific. It's all just Nick J opinions. This is not Nick J opinions. Like there is pounds per square inch at certain distances. There's pellet counts per ounce. You can look up all this stuff. It's just science. Um, and, and it's, it's actually like the only thing I can think of that's, that is scientific about hunting at all. Like out of everything in my truck, what's the only thing that I'm for sure works better than something else? The premium ammunition. Um, everything else is just opinions I've gathered from myself, from other people, from advertisements, from influencers, you know, um, from somebody told me something and I think it works and then I had a result with it and that led me to believe it too. So premium ammunition is, is a huge, huge advantage if you can get your hands on some. I'm not a believer that you're going to shoot less ammunition and therefore it will be less expensive to steal. That's just too far of a bridge to gap. I'm a believer that it's fucking worth it. Like, yeah, it's gonna, I'm gonna spend more money on ammunition guess this season, and you know why? It's worth it. It's worth it for me to not chase cripples. It's worth it for me to not chew on a steel pellet, because most premium ammunition it does pass-throughs. When you hit a bird with bismuth, when you hit a bird with tungsten, it's usually a pass-through. You're not chomping on pellets. You're not chasing cripples. I can prove it's better by a lot. I mean, the, the, the numbers are mind-blowing. <laughs> so that's just my first pitch, and I thought it would be good to tie in our, uh, our sponsor with that. But let's just start going through all these things, man. Like, I'll give you a rundown of what I wrote down. Uh, DSDs, Gore-Tex Wash, the Honker Hauler Cart, Gillies and Military Net, Ditch Grass, Sentry Decoys, Box blind, face mask, monoculars, field stubble, flags, X fields, plowed fields, um, V boards. I'll get through as many as I can. And hopefully by the end of the episode, you, you, you have some ideas of something you might want to try. Or at least are more open-minded to like different things out there that are even available for you to use. So let's just start going down them. Dave Smith decoys is what I have written down first. Um, Dave Smith decoys are an awesome tool but they're not my only tool i use every goose decoy that's out there i've got 40 year old silhouettes i've got sleeper shells i've got regular shells i've got 42 inch super magnum shells i got everything i got socks floaters v boards i got it all so what what type of a hunt am i going to be using dsds on hunts i think i can get away with um a much smaller decoy spread. They're too inefficient to use a big decoy spread. So when somebody says like, hey, I'm thinking about running a small DSD spread this year, I was thinking about getting three dozen. That's a big DSD spread. Number one, that costs a lot of fucking money. And number two, like when you're doing a lot of solo hunting and just you and a buddy hunting, 36 DSDs is a lot of labor to set out compared to 30 or 200 Bigfoots. I mean, it's about equivalent. I can empty my trailer a bit 200 Bigfoots in about the same time as I can set up about 40 DSDs by myself. So if, I, if it's a hunt I need 200 decoys, I'm not going DSD. If it's a hunt where um, I got stale birds, maybe I want to try a smaller spread, I just feel like I don't need the draw power of 200 decoys, then I'm going to, okay, if, I'm, if I don't need 200 decoys and I think I can do it with 30, I'm going to use the best looking decoys I can. I'm only setting up 30 of them. So... 
I want to make sure that when birds land, they are going to be nice and tight and I can decoy more birds. Uh, if you are going to make this investment in DSDs, I recommend people do it by themselves, not throw down on a, with a group of people on DSDs. Um, it seems to me like waterfowl hunters buy and sell their shit more than a fucking meth head that lives next to a pawn shop. Like, it's just everything is buy, sell, swap. And that's not really a DSD strategy. So buy them by yourself. Um, I would say the most DSDs I would ever buy are 40 because, like I said, it gets too laborious to set out more than that. That's going to be a 40 decoy spread. Don't ever buy six slots for them. Uh, they take up an insane amount of room. Plus, they're too heavy once they're in six slots. They're not really fun. They're huge. They're cumbersome. They're heavy. Um, single slots is the way to go. Don't expect your friends to be as enthusiastic as you are about hunting with DSDs. So when I say, like, yeah, it's laborious to set them all out, like, you're like, well, I'm going to have four buddies to hunt with all the time. No, you won't. Not with DSDs, you won't. Because everybody you know has a trailer full of fucking name your full body plus an additional 10 dozen dive bombs. And guess what? They want to use them. And you coming around being like, you know, tomorrow's hunt, we just really should use 35 decoys. You're not hunting with those people. <laughs> those Or you will, but your decoys will be collecting dust at home. Like, People like to use their decoys. Can you blame them? They don't have your DSDs. They have trailers full of decoys that they like to see get some sunlight on them too. And it, again, you're talking about breaking out of a traditional style hunting in a group where there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. That's just not going to happen. So your friends are not going to be as enthusiastic about your DSDs as you are. So you're going to be hunting like you and a buddy or you and the dog quite a bit. Um, what else is there about DSDs? I don't know. That's a good overview. Gore-Tex wash. Um, everybody always, I, get, I had over a hundred screenshots on my Snapchat when I posted my Gore-Tex wash and DWR, which is insane. I don't know if I've ever had a hundred screenshots on anything else in my Snapchat history. And it just goes to tell me that like people don't use this stuff. So what Gore-Tex is, is it's a plastic film that they heat up and they stretch it really fast. And back in the mid late 60s, they found out when they use this certain type of plastic at a certain type of heat and they stretch it super fast, it gets these tiny microscopic pores that go from one side of it to the other. For just for some reason, I don't, I don't fucking know, I'm not a scientist. But those pores are so small that they don't allow water molecules to pass through them, but they do allow water vapor to pass through them. That's Gore-Tex. That's um, and na name your name your waterproof breathable membrane. That's the situation you got going on with it. Here's what can happen when you don't use Gore-Tex wash. Even if you just use regular laundry soap, regular laundry soap cannot penetrate those pores. If you do not wash your jacket, do not wash your bibs that have Gore-Tex in it. Those pores are going to clog up with dust. With dust. And it's similar to like a face mask, uh, like a, a respirator, where you're supposed to put those things in a plastic bag when you're not using them. That's because just because you're not breathing through it doesn't mean that air isn't passing through it. The same is happening with Gore-Tex. Air is passing through it. Dust molecules are getting caught and clogged in those pores anytime it's not in a plastic bag. So even at the start of my season, even if I washed them, which I do before I put them away for the season, I'm washing them at the start of the season. And I wash them anytime I, 
Anytime I notice they're dirty or anytime I, you, you can tell, if you keep up on your Gore-Tex, you can tell when it's not breathing anymore because you are wearing neoprene. Like if you have just have a plastic film and all those pores are clogged, then you have a plastic film on your body. It's like saran wrap. It's like neoprene. It's fucking trash. So you got to make sure you stay up on your Gore-Tex and then uh, for laundry. And then the DWR is another thing you got to keep up on because the Gore-Tex is a plastic film. If you look at your jacket, it's not plastic on the outside. It's cloth, cloth with camouflage. That cloth s absorbs water. It may not go through your Gore-Tex membrane, but it will saturate out with water. And you have to keep DWR on that because DWR wears out over time. And the stuff they use these days is not very good. I just picked up a, uh, a, a Father's Day gift off Camo Retro for my dad. So back into like the mid-90s, they used this stuff called 8-chain DWR. And it was like 8-chain fluorohydrocarbon or something like that. But they stopped using it because it destroys the fucking environment. <laughs> but I threw my dad, this jacket was from 1987. It's Gore-Tex Columbia. I put it in my washing machine to give it a quick wash with some Gore-Tex wash and re-DWR it. And the water was splashing off of a 34-year-old jacket. I was like, holy shit, this 8-chain is insane. Um, but when they had to switch to 6-chain, uh, that was like mid-90s. Like, it's such trash. Like, it, 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 they were even, like, thinking about switching. Uh, I think Patagonia was thinking about switching from 6-chain uh, to beeswax. I mean, that's how bad 6-chain is. It's not that durable. They should really take the durable water repellent out of the durable water DWR name. So that's something, another thing, you really do got to keep up on that. Otherwise, the only, the only consequence of not doing that is when it rains, when there's moisture, the cloth will absorb it. The only thing the DWR does is keeps the water beating off of the cloth so it's not soaking up. And if you do happen to have a tear in your Gore-Tex, if your jacket or your pants wet out, is what it's called, when it gets fully absorbed and saturated in water, you're going to find out where those pinholes are real quick. Whereas if you have a nice fresh coat of DWR on it and everything's beating off, you might not even notice that that, you know, five, six-year-old uh, Gore-Tex jacket that you have is not, or has some holes in it because your DWR is just making it all beat off. Um, sometimes you can DWR stuff like a Dakota hoodie, which is not waterproof. It does not have Gore-Tex in it. Um, it's just DWR. Sometimes you can waterproof that stuff so good, not waterproof it, you can water resist it so good with the DWR, like you can make it through a little light drizzle and not get too wet. Um, let's, keep, let's keep it moving. Next on my list, honker hauler cart. I always get a lot of questions about this, especially since I started using it last year and I just loved using it. Um, it, it was a game changer in a way. Uh, this year I just upgraded it. I put it on my snap yesterday. I built it last night. Um, upgraded to an all aluminum one. I'm buying an uh, electronic bike wheel for it, which will get me into all the public land that allows electronic bikes. And it'll get me into um, anywhere that, I, that doesn't have a motorized vehicle restriction. Otherwise, it's just a bike wheel anyways. So it's going to work just as good as the other tires. But that thing is awesome. Uh, we hauled out like... We hauled out uh, like 40 geese in it one day last year, and that's all we put in it. But that you know that's 400 pounds of weight, and one guy was pushing it across a flat field. One thing I definitely have learned with honker haulers, though, you pick a flat field. You don't want to go over any hills, 
And uh, if you're going to launch into a field, you go with the grain. You'd go with the rows of crops. You do not go against the rows of crops. So make sure you're positioning yourself intelligently. That's a really great product to look into to expand your range of hunting opportunities, which is what I'm all about. That's why I have all the decoys. Anything I buy for hunting, I'm thinking to myself, how does this expand my opportunities? How does this make it so I can go on a hunt I otherwise couldn't? And that has been a, a, a definite awesome investment. And it's not just for walking in. I've even uh, emptied out my Bigfoot trailer like on a trip we were just going to use DSDs on. And I pushed the honker hauler into my enclosed trailer, blocked the tires off. And then when we got to where we were hunting, we just dropped that ramp door of the trailer, wheel out the honker hauler, and we had about the easiest setup and pickup you can imagine. Just bop, 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 walk that honker hauler around the spread. When I was done, push that back in the trailer and when we are picking up the spread pull it out walk around pick everything up back in the trailer it goes it was awesome let's keep it moving gillies and military netting i use gillies and military net on every single hunt and not necessarily on my body like i i'm doing a lot of solo hunting and i'm trying to eliminate time time and setup Gillies just have this magical ability to melt into an environment. And uh, even if they're off a little bit of a color, the best ghillie suit that I have found is the Jackal ghillie suit by Camo Systems. The best ghillie blanket I have found is the um, Rancho Safari um, Shaggy ghillie blanket. Those are the two in terms of what's the best. In terms of military netting, again, Camo Systems and... Um, what happened one time, I was, I was a young pup, I must have been like 20, 21 years old, and I, saw, I think I saw an ad on Max Prairie Wings for this mili giant military net, and it was in, uh, it was just in their email or something, but it's a great price, and I was like, ah, you know what, I'm going to do that, because we used to cut them up, spray paint them, and then use them for texture on layout blinds for hunting plowed fields, I don't fucking hunt plowed fields anymore, but when you had clients, you can't tell them that you're not hunting an X field. Fucking clients. So nowadays, I don't care how many geese are in an X field. I'm not fucking hunting a plowed field. But this was back then. I ordered it for that purpose to hunt plowed fields. It showed up. It was green on both sides, not brown and green. And it was just like a cheapy net. And I was so pissed off about it that it sat there collecting dust in my garage for like four years. And then I, was just, I took it out and I started wrapping my layout blinds in it. So say I'm doing a, a grass hide and I'm putting four layout blinds right next to each other. I'd basically use that as the skirt and like wrap it all the way around the entire blinds. And then in the middle of the blinds, all those ghillies I'm not wearing on that layout hunt, I've got like eight ghillie suits and they're all those jackal camo systems ghillie suits. I throw those right in the middle of the layout blinds and it does not take but a handful of grass and uh, just kind of position it intelligently around where that uh, uh, military netting is, and it just disappears. Both military netting and ghillie suits just have this crazy magic ability to um, camouflage amongst backdrops that aren't necessarily the same color, especially when you add just a smattering of natural camouflage from the area, like in with it. It's just insane how much easier life is when you're using gillies and military netting. And that can lead into my next topic, ditch grass. Also, this kind of ties in with field stubble. Uh, something I've been doing about the last three, four years, 
I don't use any stubble from the fields I hunt anymore. Even if it's a perfect, like, just like reach down, pull up like handfuls of trash in this field, like, boy, stubbling's gonna be easy. And I'm like, you leave that shit alone. Don't touch the stubble in the field. I never touch the stubble in the field. If that stubble, if that field got combined yesterday and the sun was on it for six hours, the bottom of it has a different color than the top of it. It sun bleaches fast. If it's been a week, you're looking at like a pale yellow field, like a post-it note color, and then you flip it over and that shit is bright gold. So I've done, made that mistake in my youth a couple times, but you go out into a field like, oh man, it's stubbling's gonna be so easy. You start raking up stubble. Not only do you make a big old scar in the field, but you just raked up all this gold ass stubble and put it on a pale ass field. You just stick out like a sore dick. And another thing that happens too, if it's rained, if there's been any precipitation, when the water droplets hit the soil, they blast the bottoms of those leaves with dirt and they clean the top of the leaves. So you, you get a clean, pale leaf on top and a dirty gold leaf on bottom. And man, can it, that fuck a hunt up. And I don't even care if it was the same color. Like hypothetically speaking, I don't like to scar fields. Like some, the same guy that'll say something like, um, you know, hey, let's not, put any, let's not put any tire tracks in this field. He's the same guy that pulls the rakes out and starts raking up all this gold shit, making a fucking giant scar a hundred yards behind where the spread is, which birds can see they are airborne. They're looking at it like a fucking, like an airplane, not like you are. Like, oh, it's way back there. Not to a goose, it's not. And, uh, and then just destroying your hide with this wrong colored material. I like to leave the fields fully intact. I don't even care about tire tracks. Tire tracks are natural. Every fucking field in the world has tire tracks in them. And most fields in the world have grass patches. So I just want to go out into a field, leave it the way it fucking is, not look like somebody's been in there doing something unnatural. Tire tracks aren't unnatural, grass patches aren't unnatural. So I'm just gonna go out there, I'm gonna drop my layouts, I'm gonna wrap them in a, ghillie, uh, in a military net, throw my ghillies in the middle of them, and then I'm gonna go to the nearest ditch and I, I scan ditches. Like, I would put on a couple few miles, even the night before, looking for where am I gonna source my grass? Because it's important, it's really important. You don't waste time and I don't use clippers. Like I don't just mow down a ditch with clippers. I hand pick all my grass because I'm not picking shit that really requires a fucking trimmer to get it out. That's part of scouting grass. I'm gonna jump out of the truck five, six times, jump down into a ditch, and just reach in there and grab some grass, try to yank it out. Like, this stuff looks good. I'm not going for four foot tall grass. I'm really just going for grass that's about knee high. I'm don't, you know, I'm, I wanna make a grass patch that looks like it's a naturally as tall as the layout blinds are. I'm not using four foot tall grass because my layout blinds are not four feet tall. I want to make it look like a natural grass patch. So I'm, if it is taller grass, I'm just taking like the top 18, top 24, maybe only the top 12 inches off of it. I want broad leaves, I want good color, I want good cover, and I want it to pull out easily. And I'm, make sure you always use gloves. The first fucking time you touch grass without gloves, I guarantee you're getting that grass cut. Damn it, that's happened to me a million times. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a grass prude. I'm, I'm talking about like the areas I scout and the areas I hunt regularly, halfway through the season, I've got a Rolodex of grass patches that I know are here, 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 that I, that I know are gonna be good for grass sources. Even around the house, even next to my work, I know where some grass patches are. I'm a freak about ditch grass. Let's keep it moving. We're 
kind of running out of time. I got 15, 20 minutes. Like I said, all this shit could be its own episode. Sentry decoys. I, uh, I do not prescribe to using a lot of feeders. I prescribe to using a lot of sentries. And that's not a popular thing. You know why? Because sentries make it look like the geese are nervous. Yeah, you know what, I, you know what makes geese nervous? Other fucking geese landing on them. You're not mimicking a flock of geese that's feeding undisturbed when you hunt with your decoy spread. Your decoy spread is supposed to be mimicking a flock of geese that has another flock of geese landing on it at that moment. So, I mean, just picture yourself as a goose. You're sitting there eating. About 90% of everybody's a feeder. It's 10 sentries, you know, 10% sentries up there on the perimeter. Okay, here comes a flock of geese. What does everybody do? They pick their heads up, look, they honk. It's a very excitable moment. Geese honk the most during takeoff and uh, landing. So when they're honking, they're not eating. They're not eating. They don't have their heads down, they have their heads up. So I use a lot of sentry decoys. And a couple times, um, one thing that really uh, put the nail in the coffin for me using sentry decoys, just solidified that idea, was I had a couple of band hunts where I just you know, grabbed like 10 decoys and I went out and set them up. Geese always will take on a sentry duty if another goose isn't doing it. It's as if they're like, you know how uh, uh, when they migrate in V form formation, they'll switch positions. The leader of the V will take a break. The, uh, another goose will come up and take its spot. Typically, that's the parents or the adults in the flock that do that. But during a feeding, they do that same thing. But the lead V goose is like the sentry. And they will stand there. I've read studies that observed geese and just what they were doing and literally there will be sentries that don't take a bite of corn they won't take a bite of grass for like 45 minutes to an hour they'll just sit there and be the sentry because that's their role they're doing within the flock if you have a flock of geese land in your decoys and you don't have enough sentries those live birds will take that role upon themselves it's no trouble to them whatsoever and they will be your sentries and they will never chill the fuck out about you being in a blind over there. If there's a lot of sentries, especially on your perimeter, you get a bunch of geese that land inside the decoy spread. They look around. First of all, a lot of sentries looks natural because that's the way that geese are when other geese are landing with them. And then when they look around, if they see a bunch of nice looking decoys and there's sentries up on every, every pivot, every perimeter has a sentry, they go, oh good, we're covered here. And they start eating. And it's like they start to trust the sentry decoys, you know, like, um, and I've had a couple of really problematic band hunts where I'd land geese and they'd be on the perimeter and they would assume sentry duty. And I, they just would never be cool with me over there. Like I could never get my head up, even if I gave them five or 10 minutes. If you give geese five minutes and there's enough sentries in your spread where your live birds feel comfortable, like, oh, good, we're covered here. Everybody can go ahead and eat. Um, you can go ahead and slide up, like shoulders out of the blind after like five minutes, put them binocs on your face and start scanning for bands. You're good. So sentry decoys to me are very important. Um, how far do I take this? Theoretically, I mean, going based on what I just said, I should be using 100% sentries, but I don't. I, that still would feel weird to me. So I use about like anywhere from 60 to 75% sentry decoys in, in my spreads. And I, I kind of actually would like to switch over to 100% sentries just because it's so different. And I, I touched on this earlier, all decoy types. I use all decoy types because every single decoy you can buy 
whether that's socks, whether that's silhouettes, whether that's anything, is going to expand your opportunities for hunting. So I'd never sell decoys, never. Um, I never would consider selling this spread to buy that spread an upgrade. That's not an upgrade. That's a sacrifice. You have sacrificed a tool to have a different tool. You, if, if you want to upgrade, you, there's no such thing. You build. You build your spreads. You have this spread. You have that spread. You have another spread. You never, never, never sell something off and consider that an upgrade. You, I mean, you can. Just don't tell me that you're getting something better. No, you're getting something different and you're losing something else. So if you're selling off a whole bunch of silhouettes to buy a whole little amount of full bodies, that's a sacrifice. You've now lost a hunting opportunity because of that. Um, let's keep it moving, keep it moving. Box blind, uh, I think I've talked about that at length. That was a huge success. One of my huge takeaways with it was how susceptible those windows are. Um, these geese are totally cool with that box blind. They have no problem coming into it, but they are so keen on those windows. And that just made me think about like just uh, regular standard A-frames or layout blinds. Um, that window is the head hole and those birds are keen on it. I mean, if they're looking through a little narrow slot in a box that matches the snow color absolutely perfectly and they're seeing my little eyes like poking out the corner and freaking out about it, guarantee you they're seeing you um, <laughs> sticking your heads out of layout blinds. And that leads me to my next thing, face masks. It's a pet peeve of mine that people don't wear face masks um, because we're so susceptible. We've got these layout blinds that, let's just say they're in natural ditch grass and, you know, military netting and ghillies because you're hunting with me. And then we just got a big old face poking out of it. Like, they, they're so keen on those windows and you're so, uh, we put so much work into this hide that you're just ruining and I'm not a, I don't want face paint. I want face masks. They don't make face paint in camouflage. That black does not look as fucking good as my Nat Gear or my Optifade or my Shadow Grass. Face mask does. I want camouflage covering faces, not black grease. So it's important. It makes the difference on hunts. It, um, beards are actually great. If guys show up, they got beards. I'm like a little bit relieved. And you can do a little beard and a little grease, and that helps. Um, beards really match the natural, like uh, that grass surrounding. That's awesome. But, you know, it's better than a beard. Camouflage. So even if you got a beard, you're going to be better off with a face mask. Um, let's see. <laughs> Flags. I know I've talked about this ad nauseum, too. And I'm going to talk about it more. I do not use flags. I don't ever use them. I don't want to use them. I don't want to see them in a spread. I don't want to, you know... And I know a lot of guys have heard my reasonings behind that. I have a challenge and a dare for you. Don't hunt with a flag this season. Everybody thinks the flag works, but they they refuse to put, you know, think that I'm wrong, but they refuse to put their, their flags away and, and prove it. Prove that your hunts are less successful without the flag, because you can't. Um, just same thing about, like, this huge effort we just made camouflaging. We just made this huge effort camouflaging these four blinds. It took an hour of our time. We searched around for four miles in the ditch looking for fucking grass. And Nick J doesn't like this because it doesn't pull out easy. And Nick J doesn't like that because it's fucking not brushy enough, you know? Like, it's a headache. And now you're just going to take a three and a half foot fucking wingspan black sweatshirt on a stick and throw it outside of my beautiful 
redneck florist creation of a grass patch, fuck you. Hell no. <laughs> Those things are a complete red flag. Yeah, that kind of goes. That's a nice little pun. They are a red flag to geese that there's a predator there, and I do not want them in my spread. And there's arguments. Well, the flags are effective uh, as long as you know how to use them. Okay, what's the effective way to use them? Oh, you know, just not when they're landing, obviously, but when they're in the distance and on the corners. Oh, okay, okay. Just, to, just at the exact moments, they're at the very least likely to see that hand scarecrow of yours. Makes sense. And here's another thing I think about, too. All these opinions, all these, all these things I'm listing. Like, uh, one thing that's kind of accepted within the waterfall world is, like, stuff kind of has an expiration date. Like, when layout blinds first came out, you could basically set those in the field without any camouflage on them and crush. Man, when snow covers first came out, that's what we started doing. It was, it was beyond ridiculous how good snow covers work. Now I don't fuck with snow covers. I fucking hate snow covers. I'm a box man now. This shit changes over time. What hasn't changed over all that time? Flags. You don't think that use every spread from Canada to Missouri that's had two flags in it for the last 35 years has made an impression? You don't think that flags have some sort of an uh, expiration date, but layout blinds do? Man, them things are some scarecrows. Geese know what they are. They pinpoint your hide. They scare geese, unless, of course, you're using it when they can't see it. Keep those things out of the fucking spread, man. And I challenge, if you, don't, if you think so, if you think that flags work, I challenge you. I dare you, double dog dare you, to not hunt with it this season. Not once, not twice. The whole season. Get rid of it, and you will not miss it. And you will not be able to discern any other success. And th th a big thing about people's desire to use flags is picking the wrong fields. Like, well, I need to get birds' attention. Why? Is your goose call not loud enough? Are you hunting in dirt? That's a big problem. And that's a reason I don't need flags, because I'm not hunting in plowed fields. In fact, I don't hunt in low visibility fields at all. If I don't think the geese are going to be able to see my decoys, then why the fuck would I hunt there? It, you can't run traffic like on the edge of an X field of a plowed field. The geese won't see your decoys. To them, they're flying 40 miles an hour. They might hear a little lip, 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 lip coming from you. They look in the direction of the sound. They don't see jack diddly shit, and they go land out in the middle. I've had that happen many times when I was younger. And it's just so critically important on field selection. You're always selecting a field where your decoys are going to be visible. You don't need a flag when your decoys can be seen from a mile away. You just need a loud call to say, hey, over here. And if you really did need a flag, I would argue that you could use anything. Use fireworks, you know, to get their attention. If it's all about getting their attention, then get their attention. But put your decoys in a field that they're going to be able to see. They're not going to be able to see a flag any better than they're going to be able to see your hidden decoys. So that's my little rant on flags again. And X fields, I don't hunt X fields. Um, I'm always running traffic, always. Unless I'm traveling and I'm going back home here like tomorrow and I don't care about burning a spot. But even still, like X fields are are a game with the rules set for me. You know, you, the geese are going to go there whether or not you're there. So the only thing you can do is fuck it up. So are you going to go out there? That means I have to hunt this way because that's where the birds are. I have to hunt this way because that's where the wind's coming from. I have to hunt this way because if I don't, I'm going to fuck it up. Um, 
to me, it's a red flag if somebody says the most important thing about goose hunting is being where the geese are. No, that's how the fuck you shoot your geese out of town in two weeks. You really, the, the number one thing that attracts geese into your area for hunting is other geese. So don't scare them the fuck out of your town by hunting an X field every day. You know, you and two other groups of guys are going to run your birds out of town and you're not going to get more this season because their other birds are going to go to where the other birds are. You know, not because you're overhunting them, just because you overhunted them once. And now all of a sudden they're all gone. Now there's nothing to replace them because there's no other birds to attract more to them. You know, so just be smart. I think that like silencers, I wish silencers were legal for hunting. I think the biggest deal when it comes to hunting is just not giving the birds the impression that they're actually being hunted. I mean, just the name of the game for season long success is keeping birds around. Keeping birds, it has a snowball effect that attracts more birds. If you blast your only 200 locals out of town instantaneously uh, by September 10th and they're all on golf courses, well, you're going to have molts rolling in around September 7th. Guess where, where they're going? They're going to the golf course to join the birds that are scared shitless. These molts don't know any better, but you're not going to have a chance at these molts now either because they're hanging out with the geese that do know better. So just stay out of X fields as much as possible and stay out of plowed fields. Again, that's just decoy visibility stuff. And the last thing I'm going to touch on here is V-boards. Um, I even helped uh, Real Geese Decoys uh, design a V-board. I hope they come out with it because me and Adam Smith really did a great job. Pat myself on the back. It was a team effort, though. He had a fucking bunch of great ideas that just went, just smashed perfect with my ideas. And we, like, high-fived about it and hoping the Real Geese makes these V-boards. Um, but if, you are, if you've ever seen people use V-boards and you're curious about it, I highly recommend you do it. Uh, when it comes to silhouette goose decoys, we all have times, you know, when you're like, oh, fuck, I shouldn't have used silhouettes. I should have just came out here with 10 fucking full bodies. When it comes to floating silhouettes, I'm not going to say this is never going to happen, but it has not happened to me where I regretted using silhouettes over water. I, the most effective method of using silhouettes that I've ever found by far is over water and it's almost to the point where I feel weird about it like there's got to be a scenario where I wouldn't use v-boards right no I can't I, honestly I, I, I was like it's almost like do I sell all my other floaters and just use v-boards no of course I don't sell decoys that's stupid that's a horrible thought but for real, these things are bizarrely effective, and I mean, that's really all I got to say about V-boards. Just try them, and if you have a bad experience with them, let me know how and why, because I haven't yet, and I've hunted over them a lot. I've killed a lot of geese on public water over V-boards. I love thus paddling out in my little Karsten pintail boat, and somebody's out there with like four dozen Avian X Mallard decoys. I'm like, you are so fucked <laughs> wait till i put these 40 v boards out dude you ain't shooting a goddamn thing and it's so true it's so weird but anyways that that's gonna that's gonna do it for me today i've been rambling on long enough i hope this uh, gave, gave you some insight or some ideas or at least challenges you to think differently burn your fucking flags and uh 
if you have any insight for me, I'd love to hear it. I love hearing people's observations about what works for them or where they've found success. Reach out to me. Love chatting about hunting anytime with anyone. And um, yeah, just don't don't try some, something. Say, oh, one flock flared. That's it. Never doing that again. Keep an open mind out there. Think critically. Compare it to what compare it to what you know is the standard for your regular old run-of-the-mill decoy spreads. How effective are those really? Because we should have all quit using those. <laughs> you know, if we applied the same standards to our stick to our regular spreads as we do to these new ideas, we'd have never fucking we'd never settle on a way to hunt. Anyways, have yourselves a good week. Um, chat with you later, bird nerds. Miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.